Well, it is an honor to be here this morning. Uh, I've got something I want to show you in just a second, but, but first I want you to do something for me. I'm not going to ask you, there's no tricks here. Nobody's going to throw any powder in your face or anything like that. But I want you to close your eyes for a second. Everybody just close your eyes. And I want you to picture heaven. From what you know about what heaven's going to be like, I want you to picture heaven. I want you to picture the, the angels. I want you to picture the elders. I want you to picture worship. I want you to picture Jesus on his throne. And I want you to picture the crowds around you. Now hold that thought. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now hold that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But hold that thought, that picture that you have of heaven. All right, as, as Micah said, my name is Davey Lyon, and, and God's called my wife Amber and I to plant a church in Whitehall, uh, Alabama. If you've ever been towards Montgomery, it's right there where the casinos are. If we could get a bar and a strip joint on the other side, we wouldn't have to go far to reach the lost. So <laughs> we're thankful to be there. And the Lord's doing a lot in Lowndes County. And he's called us specifically to plant a church that, that we believe uh, maybe Lowndes County has never seen. A church where there are no barriers, where Christ is exalted above everything. Above any racial barrier, above any economic barrier, above anything like that. And so we are just so humbled to see what all God has been doing. And um, we started prayer walking in November around the community in Whitehall, meeting people, praying with people. We started doing food distributions in November, and we've done one once a month. Um, we don't want to be a church that hands food and say, good luck with that. We don't want to be a church that gives just a Bible and says, good luck with that. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to meet physical needs and plant gospel seeds as Jesus did. And so there's a great need for the gospel. There's a great physical need in Whitehall and in Lowndes County. And, um, and so we just felt like the Lord had called us to do that. So this video that we're about to show is kind of a compilation of the last four or five months of what God's been doing in Lowndes County. So if we'll play that, and then uh, we'll get into the sermon. Now I want you to go back to that image that you had of heaven a minute ago. In that crowd, was there anybody that looked different than you? What did your picture of heaven look like? Did it look anything like that? Well, your understanding of heaven will often affect our desire for what church looks like now. So we need a biblical understanding of what heaven looks like and what Jesus desires for the church. So the question is not what do we want for church. The question is, is what does Jesus want and are we pursuing what Jesus desires for the church? If you got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We'll look at verses 20 through 23. And this is Jesus praying. He has just prayed for, all, for his 12 disciples. And now he begins to pray for the church, for all believers, for every person who's ever repented and put their faith in Christ until Christ returns. That's who he's praying for here, for all believers. And what does he pray for? John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that the world may be brought to complete unity. Then... Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is the inerrant, infallible word of God. This is your mind and heart and print. This is how you have 
revealed yourself to us. There is no other book in the world like this book. It is the living word of God. It is a double-edged sword. And we pray, Father, today that as we study your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be drawn closer to you. But also, Father, that that sword would cut away at our flesh, cut away at the sin in our life. Father, for our good and for your glory, Holy Spirit, teach us now. If there's anything that's said that is not of you, cast it aside. Draw us into truth. If we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, what is Jesus praying for here? Do you see a theme in this, in this passage? This is Jesus' heart for the church. And we clearly see a theme of, of oneness, of unity. One, unity in you, in them, in me, is, is mentioned six, seven, eight, ten times in this passage. Now, when we look at the church today, do we see a church that is united, as Jesus prays for, or do we often see a church that's divided? A lot of times we see a church that's divided. That's not in every case. But it's the sad reality is that often the church is known more for what divides us than what unites us. And that should not be the case. And so today it's my prayer that as we walk through Scripture, we get a biblical understanding of what biblical unity looks like that Jesus is praying for in these verses here. And so I want to look at some truth and then apply it to our lives. Well, the first truth that we see here is that the triune God is the model for biblical unity. The triune God is the, Bible, the model for biblical unity. Look at verses 20 and 22. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one as we are one. So Jesus is praying for this oneness, this unity, that the church would be one as it is one with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In God, there is no division. There never has been and never will be. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they didn't argue over how the stars were going to be hung and how the waters were going to be parted. They didn't argue over the plan of salvation. It's always been perfect unity. And that's what Jesus is praying that the church on earth would experience, is this unity that exists between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as modeled by them. We see this theme of unity all throughout Scripture. Ephesians 4 says that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Now it's important for us to understand that if we're going to experience biblical unity, we can't be united just for unity's sake. Because we can be united and be united in sin. We need to be united in the truth of God's Word if we're going to experience biblical unity. Let me give you an example. You think about Jesus. When he was going to be crucified, there was a crowd that was gathered in front. And in one voice, they were all shouting, what, let him go because he's innocent? No, they were all shouting, crucify him. They were in sin, but they were united. The church for hundreds of years was united that slavery was good. People used the Bible to justify slavery. And it was wrong and it was sinful and it should have been repented of. So we as a church have to make sure that if we're going to be united, we're united in the truth of God's word and not what just our idea of unity is, but the truth of God's word. And God's, Jesus' desire for the church is that we would be united in Him where He is exalted above any difference, race, social status, wealth, Auburn, Alabama, whatever, that Christ is above all and is worshipped as supreme. That's His prayer for the church. And it's modeled by God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second truth that we can gather from this is that Jesus is the mediator of biblical unity. Jesus is the mediator. All right, verses 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
You see where Jesus stands in that picture? Father, may they be one. I and them and you and me. Jesus is in the middle. Timothy put it this way, that Jesus is the mediator between God and mankind. Revelation 5, 9 says this, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people and nation. Ephesians 2, 14. Listen to this. 2, 14 through 16, it says this. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier wall, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, why did Jesus do this? Okay, Jesus went to the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. But there's other benefits of the cross. What is another? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Biblical unity within the church is only possible because of the work of Christ at the cross. But we as the body of believers have to understand that we can't be reconciled to one another until we were first reconciled to God vertically. Our sin separates us from each other, but first and foremost, it separates us from God. And to have a relationship with Him, we have to repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And God brings us into a relationship with Him through Jesus, vertically. That's awesome. I praise God that, I, that I'm saved. But it doesn't just stop there, the grace of the cross. The grace of the cross also extends horizontally that, that we can be reconciled to God, but we can also be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what difference may separate us. And that's what Ephesians 2 is telling us. You see, Jesus broke down every barrier, every wall that exists between us and God and between us and anyone else that we could be reconciled. How important is this to Jesus? It was so important that he went to the cross, as Ephesians tells us, to die, that we could be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Now, the question is, is how important is biblical unity to us? Is it important to us? Does it matter to us? It should, because it mattered to Jesus. Think about the context of Jesus' prayer. Not only what he prayed for here, he's in his last moments with the disciples on earth. He's been with them. These are his last moments. He's about to go get crucified. All the things he could have prayed for, that we could have better potluck suppers, that we could have better committees on committees. He didn't pray for that. He prayed that we would be one, the body of believers, as the Father and He and the Holy Spirit are one. Why? Why was this so important to Jesus? The third point is that the salvation of the lost is God's motive for biblical unity. The salvation of the lost is God's motive for biblical unity. Look at this passage, verse 21 and 23. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that. Why is it so that there? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Not half unity, partial, complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Folks, it's not about you or me. We need to get past ourselves and understand that experiencing, exhibiting, and working towards biblical unity within the church has an impact on eternal souls. That's what Jesus is saying there. So that, may they be one, so that the world may believe. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, the lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. 
And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. If they see love and unity, they will believe that God is love. If they see hatred and division, they will reject the message of the gospel. So the church, what Jesus is praying for is that we would exhibit biblical unity where Christ is above everything else that may divide us in such a clear and visible way that it projects the love of Christ to a lost world so people see how God loves them through the church and they may come to know Christ. The flip side of that is that if we as the church are fussing and fighting, if we're not going across any barrier that, that's already been torn down by Christ and, and we're not exhibiting and working and praying and repenting towards this type of biblical unity, then the lost world is going to see a church that's divided. And why in the world would somebody that's lost want to come into a church if they're not seeing the love of Christ there? They'll reject the gospel is what, is what this is saying. So thinking about all that, what does it look like? What does this kind of biblical unity exhibited by the body of Christ look like? How does it flesh itself out in the here and the now? Well, I believe Revelation 7, 9 gives us a picture. This is John. He's looking into heaven. And he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. So this is believer. Every believer that's ever believed is there in heaven together. Every nation, tribe, tongue, every race is represented before the Lamb. And what are they doing? Verse 10, and they cried out in a, in one, in a singular unified voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here we see, we see diversity. Every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. Diversity. God's creation represented but we see them united in one voice, worshiping God as God desires. Now, we as the church often think, I have thought that this is great. I can't wait to get to heaven to experience that. But Jesus is praying that we would experience it now. That we don't have to wait to get to heaven. That we can have this kind of unity now. Jesus in Matthew 10, 6, 10, he prayed this. Father, your will be done on earth as it is as it is in heaven and i take that to mean that jesus is saying that this kind of unity that you're going to experience in heaven is possible now and not only is it possible but i'm praying that you would experience now father let it be done let it be done now with one voice and one heart the church would worship god now now, before we get into the final points, I, I want us to all affirm a few things from Scripture. Because at the end of the day, you don't want my opinion on anything. You want the Word of God. So can we affirm that in heaven, all believers are united in worship of God? Revelation 7, 9. Okay? Can we also affirm that God desires for the church to be united now? Okay? Father, is, let it be now. Okay? You will be done on earth. Can we also affirm that Jesus makes a way for this unity to be possible? Ephesians 2, he tore down every barrier, okay? Now, can we also affirm with our God-given senses that as we often look at the church, we don't see this kind of biblical unity as, as, as often as we should? Can, can we affirm that? Now, the question is, is why? Why don't we see this kind of biblical unity and oneness exhibited that Jesus prays for? If you've got two thumbs, <laughs> it's right here. It's because we, as people, are the muddlers of biblical unity. Our sin gets in the way. 
Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So often we settle for what seems right to us instead of what God has clearly told us is right. If the church here on earth doesn't look like the church in heaven, it's not because there's a barrier there that Jesus hadn't torn down because he's torn them all down. It's because there are barriers that exist because of our sin that needs to be repented of so Jesus will come and, and remove those barriers. So how did these barriers get there? Well, how did they get there? Well, there's a lot of different, a lot of different things, I think. And I'm not saying every reason that the church, uh, that we have predominantly white churches or predominantly Asian churches or predominantly African-American churches. I'm not saying that every reason is simple, that we are as divided as we are at 11 o'clock on Sundays. But I would imagine and venture to guess that most of them are. At least when I, God deals with me, most of my reasons have been sinful. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is just to confess to you some of my sin that the Lord has dealt with me on that maybe, maybe you could relate to. Maybe you have others. But the first reason that I think that we don't see biblical unity here on earth as we will experience in heaven is simply this, that believers don't want biblical unity. Simply put, we don't want it. We do not desire what God desires. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Now, I'm a guy that likes... I, 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 it's hard for me to be on a stage in front of people. I would rather be by myself, and I like to live in my comfort zone. And so I'm a guy, if I walk in a room and you got some Auburn fans over here, some Alabama fans over there, I'm going to go to the Auburn fans because I'm comfortable with that. If you got a room with turkey hunters and somebody that, that, that plays golf, I go to the turkey hunter because I can't hit a golf ball, okay? I like to live in my comfort zone. And you could probably relate to that, right? Now think about that for a moment, though. What I found is that, that, that my comfort will also have an effect on my worship. If I want to live and socialize in comfort, does that not affect the way that I want to worship? Do I not want to worship in comfort? And so what I've done is, is I've, take, I've exchanged the truth about God's, this unity for a lie, and I've worshipped an idol created in my image that allows me to worship in my comfort with people that look just like me and talk just like me and have the same social status as me. And that is an idol, and it needs to be repented of. You know, we, 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 God, Jesus said, go. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He's stretching us. He's telling us to get out of your comfort zone and go. We'll go across the nation for a week on a mission trip, and we'll share the gospel and have good intentions, and then we'll leave and come back. But we won't go across the street. Now, why is that? I think it's because it's uncomfortable for us. If we leave and come back across the nation, those people can't come to our home and knock on our door and maybe need something. But what about the person across the street? Heaven forbid we go out and go out in our community and, and share the gospel with somebody that, look, that doesn't look like us and they come and knock on our door and want to be part of our fellowship. We can't have that. It's not comfortable for us. We're worshiping an idol and we need to repent of that. If we as the church, if we want a church, if we want a church that's divided along racial, economic, social, whatever lines, then we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we simply need to repent. And ask God to change our hearts. We may pray for unity in our community. We hear that all the time in our country. But are we really working and repenting and in, with intentionality towards that? If we're not, then we need to pray God would change our desires to match His because He is too holy to change His desires to stoop 
to match our desires. So sometimes we just don't want biblical unity. A second reason I think that we don't experience biblical unity on earth as we will in heaven is that believers just don't believe it's possible. We just think there's no way God can do that here. We live in the south. We live with hundreds of years of all this racial divide, and there's just no way it's going to happen. I've had people say that to me. That's a nice thing you're doing in Whitehall, but it's just not possible. Jesus said, O ye of little faith. Folks, if the gospel is powerful enough to break a sin barrier, is it not powerful enough to overcome a skin barrier? But oftentimes my faith, our faith, is too small for our big God. We put God in this little box, and we limit Him in His power and His glory and what He can do. And therefore, we think that's a nice thought, but it's impossible. Let's not rob God of the glory He deserves by limiting what we think He can do. There was a young rich man that came to Jesus one time, and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you need to do this, this, and this. And he said, I've done all that. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, now sell everything you got and go and give to the poor. And the young rich man went away sad. We, we know that story. We, we heard it in Sunday school. But do you remember what happened next? What happened next is the disciples turned and they looked at Jesus and they said, who in the world can be saved? It's impossible. And Jesus was like, you're right. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. How many things did Jesus say are possible? Some? A few? No, he said all things are possible with God. Now let me ask this. How many of you have kids or grandkids? How many of you pray for your children to be saved? Your grandkids to be saved? Are you not praying for the impossible? When you share the gospel with them and you bring them to church and you teach them, are you not working towards the impossible? When you as a parent, when you sin and they see your sin and you repent, are you not repenting towards the impossible that they might see Christ? If it's impossible for our children to be saved with us, it's not impossible, God. Why don't we apply that to biblical unity? Why aren't we working and striving and praying and repenting towards reaching out for those things that with us are impossible but with God are not impossible? Sometimes we just think it just can't happen but with God nothing is impossible for a long time I thought biblical unity allows I, 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 I never thought I'd see a day like that I don't believe it's impossible anymore in fact the Lord is doing it and he can do it here but we just got to believe he can and the third reason I believe that we don't experience church on earth as we will in heaven is because we don't understand imago day Imago Dei is a Latin term. It comes from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It means the image of God, where God said, let us create them in our image, in our likeness. So in His image, He created them, male and female. You, know, you probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. There's this guy that was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. A group of robbers come along, and they beat him up, and they rob him, and they leave him for dead. A little while later, there's this priest, this church guy that comes by. He sees him, and he keeps walking. Then there's a Levite that comes by, a church guy, sees him, and keeps walking. Then here comes the Samaritan. He sees the guy. He has compassion on him, and he bends down to tend to him and love on him. Now, why was that? I think it's because the first three looked at him from the way the world looks at people. They looked at him for, what can, what can I take from this guy? What does he have that I can take from him? And so they robbed him and left him for dead. The priest and the Levite looked at him. You know, what does he have to offer me? He has nothing to offer me. i got to get to church. And he keeps going. But the Samaritan comes by. He doesn't look at the world standards and assign value based on the way the world does. 
But he looks at the guy and he sees him created in the image of God. And so therefore, no matter what this guy can give him, he has nothing to give. He's in need of help. He sees him as made in the image of God. So he reaches down and he has compassion on him. And he loves him in the name of Jesus. And the community of the Samaritan was better because the Samaritan was there. Y'all are taking an offering for Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Now, our Jerusalem is pretty clear. It's, you know, it's right here. The nations is everything else. Uh, you know, we, we can understand the nations. But the Judea and Samaria, why is that there? Well, the Judea is a place next to you. It may be Lowndes County. It may be, you know, a state right over. But the Samaria, I didn't understand this until recently. The Samaria, they were, they were half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentiles. Nobody wanted them. The Jews didn't want them. The Gentiles didn't want them. People would travel to Samaria and go around it and keep going. The Samaria is the person or place that you wish was not in your life. That would be easier if they weren't there. It's the place that you just want to pass on by. So often we want to think that we're the good Samaritan. Sometimes we feel like the guy that's been left on the road, but oftentimes I find myself being the priest or the Levite or the folks that robbed him. And I'm tired of that. How about you? How do we see people? Only when we begin to see people as God sees them can we begin to love them as God loves them. We have to see them as made in His image first. Then we can love them as He loves them. These are just a few of, uh, of the things God's been dealing with me on my heart. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've got others that the Lord's dealing with you on. But as I look at the church today, I'm, I'm grieved. I'm grieved at the division that we so often see. I'm grieved that my sin, my sin, Davy's sin has contributed to that division. And I'm grieved that the church as a whole is not repenting and working towards this type of biblical unity that God desires for us, that Jesus bled and died for, for us to experience here and now. You know, God's called my wife and I to plant a church in Whitehall that we thought was impossible, but he's, he's making it happen. God's put people in our life. I've got an African-American brother in Christ in Montgomery that has been mentoring me. I eat with him for lunch once a week, and I love him. I can't, if it's this good on earth, I can't wait to heaven to experience more of that. God's opened a lot of doors. He's confirmed his will to us in a lot of ways. So therefore, despite all that grieves me, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because Jesus is greater than anything that may divide us. I'm hopeful because Jesus is greater than my sin. And I'm hopeful because Jesus has made it possible for us to experience this kind of unity here on earth and here and now. You see, the thing is, is that Jesus knows that his bride, the church, the church is more beautiful and more effective when we are loving one another and worshiping with one another and working alongside one another than when we are divided. He knows that. You know, God knows more than we do. <laughs> His ways are higher than our ways. And when we say, when we say that we are better divided, we spit at the cross, we spit at the wisdom of God, and we spit at the sovereignty of God because we are saying that, no, 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 God, our way is better than what your way is. Our desires are better than your desires. We've got it figured out. You don't know what you're talking about. And the Lord calls us to repent of that. We cannot be a church divided and experience biblical unity as God desires. We can't be a church divided and see the lost one to Christ. We can't be a church divided and see God glorified as He ought to be and as He deserves to be. So how about you? How about Elkdale? Will you start right here and right now? With intentionality, 
to reach out to your community across any barrier that may exist? Do you desire that your church would reflect the makeup of your community? Are you working and praying and repenting towards experiencing biblical unity here in this church and with your other churches and with your neighborhood and your community? How can, how can we go to another nation if we won't go to our neighborhood? How can we go to another country if we won't go across the street, around the corner? Are you working to see biblical unity where race doesn't matter, social status doesn't matter, wealth doesn't matter? All we do is see people made in the image of God and we love them accordingly. Now, if not, why not? Think about that for a second. If you're not wanting and desiring and working towards that, what's the reason? There's a reason. Let it, think about that for a second. All right, now when you got it, Scripture tells us very clearly we're all going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for every thought, every action, everything we've ever done. And when He asks you, did you have the same desire? Did you work and repent and pray towards experiencing church on earth as it will be in heaven as I prayed for and as I died for? And you say, well, Lord, I, I was going to, but. Do you really want to lay that excuse at his feet on the day of judgment when you see him in all of his glory? I don't. How about you? Folks, whether it's, whether it's in church or it's in a country club, how can a person or a people claim Christ as Lord but then intentionally solely because of the color of someone's skin, not want to have fellowship with them. There's one word for that. It's sin. And the cure for sin is to turn to Christ and repent, that He may change our heart to have His heart. The lost world is watching you, Eltdale. The eyes of Jesus are on you. When the world looks at Eltdale, what does it see? And what is it telling them about Jesus? God's desire for His church is too clear. His command, His desire is, is too great. His commands are too clear. His power is too strong. And His grace is too sufficient for us to settle for the weak bonds of unity that we so often settle for. Brothers and sisters, may we be the church that Jesus is praying for, that He died for, where we experience relationship with God and relationship with one another in such a way that it is for our good, that it is for the glory of God, and it is for the sake of the lost. Now we're going to have a time of song and prayer here in just a minute. And if the Lord has laid on your heart conviction that maybe there's somebody in this church that you need to reach out to and be brought back into relationship with. Maybe there's somebody outside that there's a barrier that needs to be torn down. Maybe you haven't been intentionally going out and sharing the gospel with somebody just because of some difference between you and them. It's, it's a time to repent. Maybe you don't know Christ, you've never been reconciled to God, and He's calling you now to come to, into a relationship with Him so He can deepen His relationship between you and Him and others. The little bit of taste that I've gotten of this, it's, it's joyful. It's joy I've been missing it for years. And I want to live the rest of my days growing closer to my God and closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus makes that possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. You are holy you are just, you are loving, you are merciful, you are kind. Father, you desire a relationship with us, and you desire that we would experience a deeper relationship within the body of Christ so that the lost world may see your love and come to know Christ. Father, I pray for Eltdale. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I thank you that they are reaching to plant a church.
uh, down the road. I pray that you would give them great wisdom, that you would open doors as they go to share the gospel. I pray for their search uh, for a pastor, Lord, that you would bring a godly man in uh, that would point them away from himself into you. Lord, we thank you for this time. May we all be built up and equipped. May you be glorified. Lord, may we go out and evangelize to the lost. Father, we can only do it with your help. It is for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.